You're listening to the Grace Sermon Podcast with messages from Pastor Chris Twightman and the community at Grace Lutheran Church, Huntington Beach. We're a family church that exists to engage life together and impact our neighborhoods as disciples of Jesus. If you'd like more information about our church, please visit us online at gracehb.org. Now, stay tuned for today's message. So a couple weeks ago, or actually a few weeks ago now, I was uh, looking for something new to read because I ran out of stuff to read. Um, And so I was looking through the free book section on Kindle because it was in my price range. And I came across a book that I was very intrigued by. It was written by Corey Ten Boom, um, and she wrote a book called The Hiding Place. Now, I don't know if you're familiar with Corey Ten Boom. I was vaguely familiar with who she was. I knew she was a very famous Christian author and speaker. I think my mother-in-law had talked about her at one point and said she was incredibly moved by her. And I knew it had some, she had something to do with hiding Jews during um, World War II. But that was really the extent of it. And well, the price was really hard to beat, so I decided to download it. And as I started reading through Corey Ten Boom's The Hiding Place, I soon began to discover that this woman can write. I mean, there is a reason she is famous. She is a phenomenal writer that has this incredible ability to draw you into her world, but she also is just, like, her whole book is riddled with these incredibly insightful little passages of conversations she had with people or insights she had or, or moments she had with her parents, specifically her dad. And one of those moments really struck me. As I was reading, I was like, oh, that was good. And this morning, I was thinking, you know what? This actually would be a great, like, start, jumping spot for the sermon. And so there is in your bulletins, if you would like to follow along and read it, an excerpt from The Hiding Place. And you don't have to follow along and read it that way. You can just listen to my sultry voice um, and be soothed by that. But I want to read this to you. It is an account from when Corey was about 10 years old and she came across a word in school that she didn't know the meaning to. And it's, it's so cute in terms of the way she processes what this word means. But the really amazing thing is the way her dad answers the question is just, it's mind-blowing. So I'll read this to you. Corey says, I asked father about a poem we had read at school the winter before. One line had described a young man whose face was not shadowed by sex sin. Now, I had been far too shy to ask the teacher what it meant, and Mama blushed scarlet when I consulted her. In those days, just after the turn of the century, sex was never discussed, even at the home. So the line had stuck out in my head. Sex, I was pretty sure, meant whether you were a boy or a girl, and sin simply made Tante Johns, her aunt, very angry. But what the two meant together, I just couldn't imagine. And so, seated next to Father in the train compartment, I suddenly asked, Father, what is sex sin? I mean, you can just get the picture of this, right? Just this innocent child, have no idea what she's doing. And so Father turned and looked at me, as he always did when answering a question, but to my surprise, he said nothing. At last, he stood up, lifted his traveling case from the rack over our heads, and set it on the floor. Will you carry it off the train for me, Corey? He said. And so I stood up and I tugged at it, but it was crammed with the watches and spare parts he had purchased that morning. 
It's too heavy, I said. Yes, he said. And it would be a pretty poor father who would ask his little girl to carry such a load. It's the same way, Corey, with knowledge. Some knowledge is simply too heavy for children, but when you are older and stronger, you can bear it. For now, though, you need to trust me to carry it for you. And I was satisfied. In fact, I was more than satisfied. I was wonderfully at peace. For there were answers to this and all my hard questions, but for now, I was content to leave them in my father's keeping. Isn't that a great story? When I read it, I was just so struck because, look, my kid, she's like nine months old, eight months old. She doesn't really listen to me to begin with. Um, and I didn't understand this even before I had kids, but this is totally what every parent strives to do for their child, is it not? Every one of us recognizes there are certain burdens that exist in this world, and it is our job, or at least we endeavor, to protect our kids from those things. We don't want them exposed to violence. We don't want them exposed to bad language, pain, poverty. The list goes on and on. And so as parents, we try to keep our kids from those things, recognizing, though, that there will be a time and a place in their life where they are ready to be exposed to that. And when we, in our infinite wisdom, deem that appropriate, we give them what we believe they are able to handle. At least that's the idea. Right? We all strive for this. We all recognize that that doesn't always happen, but that's the goal. And so we assume if that is our approach to our children, it's logical and reasonable then to assume that that's the exact same approach God takes with us. That if God, who is described all throughout Scripture, is our good father, a father who is infinitely wise and infinitely powerful, if anybody is only able to give to their children what they are able to handle, it would be God. That's logical. That makes total sense to us. The problem is, that's not in the Bible. That's not in the Bible. Nowhere in Scripture are you going to find Jesus or any other biblical writer say that God will give you, God will never give you more than you can handle. It's just not in there. It's not. Now, I know a couple of you are thinking, hold on, there's a verse. I was taught this verse as a child, and in fact, I will tell you, I did not even realize this verse was in there at first. But I was having a conversation with a really good friend of mine as he was about to have his fourth kid, and he was asking me, how do you know whether or not you should have more kids? And I went to uh, wisdom. You apply wisdom to the situation. If you are stressed beyond all get out and you can barely afford the kids that you have now and you have no room in your house right now, maybe, maybe that's a good insight. But then he responded with, okay, but there's this verse, you know, God says he never gives you more than you can handle. So if children are a good blessing from God, then God will never give you more children than you can handle. And I was like, that's not in the Bible. And he said, yes, it is. There's this verse. Paul talks about it. And so I wasn't even aware of it. I wasn't. And I was like, I don't think it says that. So I went and I looked it up. This is what that verse actually says. And my, my friend was actually quite close. And God is faithful, for he will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. Now, at first glance, this seems to say God will never give you more than you can handle. But that's not really what this verse is saying. And in fact, this word tempted can also be translated 
tested, and the word is typically only used in reference to sin. What Paul is actually saying in this verse is that God will never make you face a sin that you will not be able to handle. See, God knows my limits because I've never been tempted to steal a billion dollars. Because God knows if I was tempted to steal a billion dollars, I'm going to give in. And I'm going to go for that billion dollars. So God, in his infinite wisdom, has protected me from stealing a billion dollars. But more than that, this isn't just me rifting off of this verse and making it say that. All you have to do is look at the context of this. I mean, this is just a basic lesson in how to read the Bible. Never take a verse out of context. You always need to look at what the surrounding context is. And as soon as you do, you realize what this verse is talking about. See, at the end of chapter 9 of 1 Corinthians, Paul is making this argument. He says, I wish you could learn to discipline your bodies so that you would not be tempted to give in to sin. Be disciplined like I am because I have found that sin doesn't really work so well. And he goes, if you give in to sin, you're no different than the Israelites who, while they wandered through the wilderness, he says this at the beginning of chapter 10, gave in to the temptations of sin and look what happened to them. It consumed them. It destroyed them. It wrecked their life. And so Paul is saying, then he gets to verse 11, he says this, these things happened to them as examples and were written down as warnings for us. In other words, we have the entirety of the Old Testament to see what happens when we wander away from God, when we give in to temptation, when we sin. And let's be honest, we have every example in our own life of all the stupid things we've done and how that affects not only ourselves, but everybody around us. I don't think I need to give a treatise on why sin is bad this morning. And Paul is saying this, of all of these examples and scriptures of when people did stupid stuff, we saw how it consumed them. Don't give in to sin. And then he goes on, no temptation has overtaken you except what is common to mankind. And actually, what he's saying is these temptations that you are facing, these temptations in your marriage, these temptations at work, these temptations to explode in anger or steal a billion dollars or whatever it is, these are not, like, unique to you. You are not the only person in human history to have ever faced this form of temptation. And I will tell you, that gives me great encouragement. Because like you, I have my own temptations, I have my own struggles, and to know that I'm not alone in that, and odds are there's other people in the room that are struggling with the exact same thing, that is an encouragement. That is an encouragement. But then he also follows it with, and you should know this, God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. He will not allow you to face certain temptations to sin that he knows you cannot handle. And if you are tempted or when you are tempted to sin, he will also provide a way out so that you can endure it. Now, church, I want to be clear. This is a great promise of Scripture. This is one we should simply cling on to. There is no temptation to sin to do stupid things in your life that God knows you can't handle. That is true. And any temptation you are facing, God promises he will provide a way out. But that is not the same thing as saying that every situation, every circumstance you face was clearly from God. God knows that you're just some super strong person that can handle all these burdens that somehow wind your way into your life. That is not saying the same thing. Those are completely different things. 
And in fact, as we actually look at what Scripture says and we reflect on it, and specifically the words of Jesus, Jesus says the complete opposite point. Now, this is interesting because it's at an interesting point in Jesus' ministry that he says what I'm about to show you. It's while Jesus is on his way to the garden where he knows he's going to be arrested, where he knows he's going to be falsely put on trial, where he knows he's going to be beat and eventually killed on behalf of humanity. It's at a moment in his life where we know hours later he was so overcome by stress that he's sweating blood. We know he was so stressed that he asked his three best friends to join him and support him because he felt he couldn't carry the load on his own and they didn't help, they just fell asleep in the corner. It's moments before that happens that Jesus, in walking with his disciples, walking with his disciples, begins to tell them, guys, you're going to face some pretty horrible stuff in this world because you follow me. This world will give you trouble. And he even explains, if you follow me, just as they treat me terribly, what do you think is going to happen to you? You're following me. The same things that happen to me, they're going to happen to you. You're going to be beat. You're going to be kicked around. There are going to be things in this world that cause you trouble. And I'm going to be honest, I don't really like the word trouble. I think that's too simplistic. I go, oh, shucks, there's trouble. So I started looking at other translations, and they do a better job of breaking apart this word. The New Living Translation says it this way, here on earth, you will have many trials and sorrows. And that, that kind of gets at it. This idea a little more, you, you develop, there's a little more in there. The English Standard Version has this. I don't find this remotely helpful. In this world, you will have tribulation. Like I use that word outside of church. Tribulation, that doesn't work. So I, I like this one. The world will make you suffer. Short, simple, to the point. Jesus is making it very clear. Guys, this world's going to kick you around. This world is going to grind you down. This world is going to beat you. There are things in this world that are coming upon you that are never part of God's plan for you. Pastor Chris dismantled that argument last week. There are things that simply happen. There is collateral damage to sin. There is just collateral damage that is spinning around and it's going to knock you down. There are things that are going to happen to you that you simply cannot bear on your own. The world will make you suffer. It's at this point in the service, I would just love to again say, Happy Mother's Day. <laughs> I, we're so glad you came out today and for this encouraging message and hope you guys have a great brunch. See you later. <laughs> just kidding. Can you imagine if we just left it right there? That would be so terrible. Now, I also know there's some of you moms in the room who are like, you don't have to tell me about suffering. I gave natural labor to 12 children. I know all about suffering. But here's the thing, the Bible doesn't just stop here, or Jesus specifically doesn't stop here. In fact, Jesus follows these words with this. The, Bible, the world is gonna grind you down. You will suffer. There will be many trials, and you will have sorrow in your life. There are things that are going to be too much for you to handle, but cheer up. Take heart. There's good news. And you go, Jesus, do you understand the words take heart. Do you, do you know what you just said and then what you're saying right now? Like those are polar opposites. He follows it then with this. But take heart. For while you cannot handle things, I have overcome the world. You cannot handle the stuff that the world is going to throw at you. But take heart. I can. In fact, I 
did. See, church, this is huge. This is huge because the gospel, we need to hear this today, the gospel is not that God will never give you more than you can handle. That's not the gospel. The real good news of the gospel is that God will never give you more than he can handle. Okay, I know it's early. I know it's early. So here, I'm coming down. Here we go. This is what I need from you. That was good. That was a good, cheesy Christian statement, church, and this is what I got from you. (laughs) So here, we're going to fix this this morning, okay? I know you're Lutheran, but I believe in you. I believe in you. Okay, this is what I want. I'm going to repeat myself because I do that when you don't respond. And when I repeat myself, this is your opportunity for the heartiest amen, hallelujah, preach it, brother. If you've got a giant floppy hat, this is the time in the service to whip that sucker out, okay? Here we go. The gospel is not God will never give you more than you can handle. The gospel, the real good news each of us needs to understand and embrace is this. God will never give you more than he can handle. (laughs) Now that was not that hard. Good job. See, this is important for us to understand because we come across these burdens in life and we go, ah, you know, I just gotta, I gotta pull myself up by my bootstraps. I just gotta suck it up. I gotta deal with it because, you know, God gives me these burdens. He knows I can handle it. No, that's just not true. That is counter to what the scriptures say. But what God does say to you who are facing these situations, these circumstances that you find yourself in, that you feel like you're drowning, that you don't know what to do, you're out of wisdom, God says to you, I will never give you more than I can handle. And in fact, there is nothing in this life, nothing in your marriage, nothing in your home life, nothing in your work life, nothing in your physical condition that God cannot help you with. Nothing. Now here's the thing, we, I, I don't like talking in broad, abstract concepts. I just think that's not helpful in any way, shape, or form. But I imagine many of you are already beginning to have in mind either situations in your own life or situations in family and friends that you're acutely aware of and you go, I, I don't know how they deal with that. Like I said, it could be marital, it could be financial, it could be work-related, it could be health-related. I mean, those are clearly there. But Mother's Day actually allows us a unique lens a unique perspective on situations that we don't often talk about. And while I want to fully recognize that for many of you, Mother's Day is a phenomenal day. It's a great day. It's a day to truly uh, enjoy and embrace what's going on. And and here's the truth. I'm new dad, you know, I don't think I understood what a mom did until I became a dad. I was a kid with a great mom. I never understood what she did for me. It wasn't until I began to watch my wife, but then it made me acutely aware of the moms around me, and I saw how they loved their children, selflessly, often at their own expense, on a regular, daily basis, that I began to fully understand the love of a parent for a child. And if you are a mom who has that kind of love for your child, you absolutely deserve to be acknowledged, you deserve to be celebrated, and you deserve to be, have a day. Look at this. You guys are practicing and doing so good with this. So by all means, mom, I hope your feet are up. In fact, if you want, throw them on your husband's lap, make them rub them. Just please keep your socks on because that's gross. Um, 
So if you're a mom in that position, I recognize that today is a good day, but I also recognize that for many, Mother's Day is incredibly painful. Incredibly painful. For those of you in the room who have been struggling to have kids or you know someone in your life who has been struggling to have kids, you need to understand Mother's Day is a swift kick to that raw, nasty bruise in their life. All day long and there's no way around it. It hurts. It hurts them. But worse than that, if you lost your mom or, or even worse, you lost a child, Mother's Day is a gut wrenching reminder of that person's absence in your life. For others of you, Mother's Day is a reminder that you and your mom are kind of estranged or you and your kids are having some serious issues. And it's kind of like, what am I celebrating today? And that's a haunting reality. And so I want to just acknowledge taking those three things, you need to hear two very important truths this morning. First, None of the things that you are experiencing are what God intended for you. I told you, Pastor Chris dismantled that argument super well last week. Things don't just happen for a reason. So the things that you are facing are not part of God's plan for your life. Second, the things you are facing are not because you're some sort of superhuman woman or, and God is not looking at you saying, well, just suck it up. You got this. You're the woman. What are you complaining about? God is never saying that. What God is saying in the midst of this is, this was never part of the plan. I did not give you this burden to carry on your own, but I can carry it for you. And here's the thing. When you begin to take this concept that there are things in this life that come that are far beyond our controls, our abilities to handle on our own, and then you go back and look at the scriptures, you begin to realize, man, there are a lot of people that face circumstances like this. And yet these people who face some horrible circumstances figured out in the midst of this to not be able to carry the burden on their own, but to truly trust God with it. And out of that, like Corey Tenboom said, it brought them incredible peace. In fact, if you go and read the, the rest of John 16, it starts with, I'm telling you this so that you might have peace. So the question is, how do we move from these spaces of having this, this brokenness into these things? Well, let me tell you some of the stories that I was reflecting on this week of people in the scripture that faced horrible circumstances, way beyond their abilities. Do you remember the story of Moses? Moses, at the ripe old age of 80 years old, is told by God, I need you to go and stare down the greatest superpower of your day and tell them their access to a free slave labor force, it's done. Uh, more than that, Moses, I also need you to get some money for the Jews so that they can take care of themselves. And Moses goes, yeah, I can't do that. And in fact, you, you have this incredible debate between God and Moses where Moses just goes, look, I'm not adequate. I don't know what I'm doing. I have no idea how to handle this. God, I'm not smart enough. I don't know how to lead people. I don't even know the way to this promised land you speak of. God, what am I gonna do? I can't handle this. And God goes, I know. I know you can't. But I can. Trust me. And Moses, after wrestling with God, enters into this state of, peace and just goes all right and with nothing more than a walking stick in hand goes to confront the greatest superpower of his day doesn't start with stop with Moses though consider David how many times as you read through the story of David is he on the run for his life 
And then we get this incredible insight in the book of Psalms where David cries out to God, my God, my God, what are you doing? Why are you allowing this? My enemies, they're surrounding me. I'm drowning. God, help me. And for years, David is on the run. For years, and he wrestles with God in the midst of these space. Or consider the story of Hezekiah. I know we don't talk a ton about Hezekiah, but if you don't know, Hezekiah was the king of Jerusalem when the Assyrian army came through and was on a rampage. An Assyrian army had just cut through the entire northern kingdom like a hot knife through butter. They couldn't stand at all. And now this massive army of hundreds of thousands of people are surrounding the walls of Jerusalem and then arrogantly, in Hebrew, calling out so all of Jerusalem hears this, give us the head of Hezekiah. Listen, you Jews, you can't stand before our might. You saw what we did to your cousins in the north. Your God didn't defend them. What makes you think your God's going to defend you? Give us the head of Hezekiah and we'll spare you. And so Hezekiah has to walk around the city of Jerusalem while everybody is debating, do I save my family or do I save the king? Talk about a situation far beyond anybody's ability to bear on their own. Or consider Queen Esther. Esther, forced into horrible situations, finds herself by a random, seemingly chaotic system of events with the fate of her people in her hands. Knowing that the only way to save her people is to endanger her life by going before the king unannounced. Knowing that in doing so, the king has every right to kill her. And yet all of these people finding themselves in situations in, that they clearly cannot handle on their own get to a place of peace where they begin to trust their father and then step into these situations. So the question I have for us today is, how do we do that? Like, it's all well and good to say the gospel is not God won't give you more than you can handle. The true gospel is he will never give you more than he can handle. I mean, that's so churchy. It's, it sticks in your head. But what do we do with that? Like, practically, every day, how do I move from those spaces where I am feeling like I'm drowning to a space of peace? How do, how do, how do we get there? This was the question I've wrestled with for weeks. And so this was my process, and I'm not saying this is like, thus saith the Lord. This is, thus saith John Alexandrian, so definitely be careful here. But this is, as I reflected on the stories of scripture that I just told you, the lives of Moses, David, Hezekiah, Esther, and then I reflected on my own story in those moments when I, I didn't know what to do, where I was just in situations I couldn't handle, this is what I realized happened. And you can see this in each of their stories. First, every single one of them. So if you want to write something down, by the way, if you're like that guy or girl that needs to do that, this is like the only things I would write down. Other than that catchy statement. Let's be honest, that's cute. The first thing they all did was they all started with a foundational intellectual base. They learned who their God was they learned what their God had done intellectually. And what I mean by that is this. Consider Moses. When Moses is told by God, I want you to go face down the greatest superpower of your day, Moses then is told by God, I am the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. In other words, Moses, remember what I did for them? 
Remember how I destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah? How I took down a great superpower? Remember how I protected Lot? Remember, remember, remember? Also, Moses, um, I'm the creator. You see that mountain? You think, I, if I made that, you don't think I could take down Pharaoh? It starts intellectually for them. An understanding of who they are. And then, I mean, as you get to Hezekiah, you get to Esther, you even get to David, they then reflect on what Moses did, right? Remember how God spared us from Egypt, the great superpower of our day? If God can do that, he can take care of this situation. It started intellectually, but I want to be clear on this. None of them jump from this intellectual knowledge to great peace. None of them did that. that. That just didn't happen. They all did this second step that I think is hugely important, that we need to recognize and we need to take note of. Every single one of them took this knowledge and then was eventually wrestled into submission. Moses is a great example of this. All you have to do is go and read Exodus 3, 4, 5, and you're going to see a man who, when God says, I want you to do this, he goes, uh-uh, nope, and throws out a million excuses, and him and God have this dialogue back and forth where by the end, Moses goes, okay, I got no other options. I mean, I understood this is who you are. I never had an issue with that, but you don't understand. I would do things this way. I would go that way. I think my way's better, and then God plays out these scenarios with him, and eventually Moses goes, yeah, all right, your way's best. And he submits, and then he moves. But also consider your own stuff. Consider all of the things that you've wrestled with. A lot of you have an intellectual understanding of who this God is. In order to move to peace, though, you have to allow this God to basically take hold of your life. And the only way that happens is by genuinely wrestling authentically with him. You throwing out trite prayers is, I'm not going to say it's worthless. I would never say that. But it's certainly not going to move you to a place of deep peace. To just go, oh God, this situation's tough. Help. And then move on with my day. It's going to continue to haunt you. Mainly because what happens in this wrestling space, that this space where we, we bring our stuff to God and we're just constantly going back and forth with him. I mean, the, the, the Christian way of saying this is, is wrestling. The American way is whining. When we whine to God, okay, when we just complain and dump our stuff on his doorstep, it allows us to begin to really understand what is of us and what is actually a promise of God. And we begin to realize what is of us really isn't going to get us very far. And then we reflect on our track record and we go, yeah, it's not so great. But then we begin to recognize what God's track record is and we realize, okay, I don't, I don't really have a better option. And I want to be clear, this, this wrestling phase, this wrestling space, for Moses, it was immediate. He's having this back and forth with God. For Hezekiah, it was less than 24 hours. For Esther, it was three days. For David, it was years. Years of wondering what is going on. And so there's no, there's no clear formula in this. I want to be clear on this. This is why I said, this is, this is my reflections on this, is you take this intellectual knowledge that you have of God, and if you're like, well, I don't even have an intellectual knowledge of God. Let me tell you, that's what we exist for. And if you're wondering what are the promises of God, that's what we come for. Talk to each other, and if you're still stuck, like by all means, make an appointment with me or with Pastor Chris. We would love to do this. Look, I'm supposed to calendar this week. I can either calendar or I can counsel you on the promises of God. What do you think I would rather do? Okay? So by all means, mess up my calendaring. I would love that. Because that, this is why we exist, church. We want to help people understand who God is. Enter into that space of wrestling and then out of that, when you've been wrestled into submission, step boldly into the promises that you've understood of God.
all along. When you do that, that's how each of these people entered into states of peace. When Moses realized, I don't have anything more to say, he took his stick and went. David, every day in the Psalms, I love it, as you read the Psalms, you see David continually complain, and David beautifully models this. Even those Psalms where David is complaining and just you know, pouring his heart out to God, at the end of every one of those Psalms, David ends with, but I will trust you. I will trust your ways, for you are my God. You are good. You know what's best. I don't have anything else to offer. I'm going to operate out of that. Hezekiah, the same thing. He had to leave the temple where he was praying and trust that nobody was going to stab him or chop off his head and then trust that God was going to take care of it. Esther had to have the boldness three days later to get dressed and walk before the king. But they did so with peace, knowing that their God was capable of taking care of them regardless of what happened to them. And so if you're the mom who's been struggling to get pregnant for years or whatever it is and, and you're still haunted by that, that bruise today especially, I don't know what God is going to do. I can't stand here and tell you what's going to happen. I can tell you what happened to us. We ended up entering into a space where eventually <clears throat> I began to understand the promise is that if God loved me, God knew what was best for me, and he loves to get good gifts, that I just had to trust in him. And even if we weren't going to have a kid, he had something else in mind for us. It's the same advice I give a college student, by the way, or a high school student that doesn't get into their college dreams or when they, uh, they blow out their arm or their knee and they lose their scholarships and they think their whole life is ruined. It's the same thing of... I don't believe this is the sole purpose God has for us, is these dreams that we have. I believe, look, I, I want to be clear. Just because I came to an understanding of hope and trust in God didn't mean our heart's desire changed. It was just this ability to enter into the peace of, God's going to take care of me. But also, let's say you're continuing to grieve um, in, in very difficult ways, the loss of a loved one, be it a, a parent or a child. Like, I don't know how to tell you how to go from this intellectual understanding to peace other than what I know to be true of scripture is this, that number one, God loved your loved one more than you can even comprehend. Number two, God promises that the grave is far from the end of the story. Number three, God has conquered the grave and invites us into that life of hope beyond the grave. That is the space we then have to trust our loved one into God's hands. He loves them more than us. He has shown the grave is not the end. I, I got to get there. Now, you're still going to enter into this space of, well, why couldn't I have done this? I wish I would have done this. It haunts me. This. Take that space of wrestling to God. Continue to throw it at his feet. Rather than staying in your own bubble and haunting yourself with these ideas, take it to him, pour out your heart, and just allow it to take it until you are essentially beaten into submission, if you will, of just this recognition of, I don't have anything else to do but to trust. That's how we're going to get to those spaces of peace. Or let's say you got the example of the, the estrangement between you and your mom or you and your child or whatever it is. Look, I don't know exactly what God is, but what I know in Scripture is Scripture gives us some really good advice on how to handle conflict. Scripture also makes it very clear that usually we're just as at fault as the other party. And so maybe just starting with that take it before the Lord and wrestle with, God, where did I mess up? What can I do differently? How do I engage this person? What, 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 what. Wrestle it. 
until you have an idea of what that looks like, a place of, okay, I'm gonna go and act on that. And it may just be making the first phone call. It may be writing a letter. It may be just releasing them into God's concern and just saying, I, I can't, I did everything I can. I gotta just, I gotta step back. Look, I don't know what your burdens are. I don't know what you're carrying, but this I do know. God didn't give you that. God didn't burden you with this because he believes you can handle it. That is not what scripture says. But what scripture does say is regardless of what it is that you're facing, whatever your circumstance, whatever your situation, God says to you, just as he says to me, I got that. There is nothing you are facing that I cannot handle. Trust me. So church, this Mother's Day, let's do that. Let's enter into the peace that God offers us by understanding who he is and bringing it before him and allowing him to work into our life as we step boldly into his promises. Let's pray.